very much, Pastor Brad. And Paul, he used that word bittersweet. And it's you're just bang on, brother. Uh, what does what does a missionary say when he's about to retire? I mean, really? What, I mean, every, okay. Okay. Can I be really, frankly, honest with you for a minute here? Every time, okay. Newsflash: Whenever missionaries come to your church, they're needing money. We all know that. I mean, it's just fact of life. We know that, right? Okay, we could talk it. Now that we got that covered, right? Uh, and so we're, we're feeling a little bit of pressure, you know, to make a good impression and spin this story so they like what they hear and all that. Okay, yeah, all that stuff goes through our minds. I don't have to do that today. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah. But what does the missionary say when, when he retires? Uh, I've got I've got notes. I've got something planned to say, and I still kind of feel like I don't know don't know where to where to start. Uh, I think uh, let's start let's start with some good stuff. Uh, it has been a real blessing just being here for the last hour and a half, um, seeing the new seeing the new stuff. I, a new preacher. All right, he's new, new to me anyway. I know he's been here for a couple of years, uh, a new preacher. Uh, the new stuff in the building, it looks great. Uh, I don't know if it's because we have usually been here in evening services, but I think in the 30-plus years that we've been bouncing in and out of Stonington, this is about the fullest house I have personally ever seen. And I think I think that's a good thing as far as uh, church and, and I. <clears throat> God's doing something good here, and uh, that's that's been you know it's a blessing for me to see. Uh, another thing might sound so simple, but Pastor did it, Dave did it, Krista did it, Charlie did it. They greeted me by name, even though I couldn't remember their names. <laughs> And something as simple as that really, uh, really speaks to me. You, know, you just must be reading our newsletters. <laughs> uh, you must care a little bit. So thank you, thank you so, so much. Uh, all right, a little bit of uh, yeah, what, what are we going to This is going to be a little bit of a rambly thing. Oh, I'm supposed to do this, right? Oh, there we go. I thought it was already there. Yeah, here we go. That's, that's us. That's what we're going to be talking about. Kind of going to be rambling around. Yes, we are going to, uh, uh, Pastor prayed, we are going to look at a little piece of scripture and have a devotional thought as we end, but uh, it's going to be a lot of kind of bouncing around to different things. You know, again, usually when we come as missionaries, we're talking about what we're doing and what we're going to do in the future. Again, hope maintain a relationship. Uh, today we're going to be focusing on the past and what we, and I mean we, if you hear me say me or what we, Becky and I did, no, it's what we, all of us, did together over the last 25 plus, plus years. So we're going to be reflecting on that. Uh, a little bit of Stonington Grumlick trivial history. Uh, I mention this almost every time I come, but for new folks, uh, Pastor Doug and Bonnie Holman I believe it was your first ministry. Was it your, your guys' first ministry after they were, they were newlyweds, uh, came to Hamburg, Pennsylvania, and they were my youth group leaders. 
is that cool or what, okay? They were my youth group leaders. Uh, this, the plot thickens as the story goes on. Uh, they left Hamburg, moved to Lancaster County, where uh, Pastor Doug worked at a bigger and better church. <coughs> All right. And a few years later, I find myself at Lancaster Bible College thinking, man, where should I go to church while I'm here? I think I'll go check out Doug's place. <coughs> when I went there, I met her. <laughs> That's where I met Becky. So I tell everybody the first time I went to Calvary Bible Church in Mount Joy was because of Doug Hallman. The second time I went was because of that girl over there. And uh, so, yeah, that, that kind of worked, didn't it? And then uh, just kind of in and out of touch through the years when Pastor Doug heard that we were heading into ministry, I think he approached me and said, hey, I'd love to have you come and share at Stonington. And I don't remember when we were here the first time. I do remember being here as part of that Round Robin Missions Conference. Do, do you guys still do that? Is that that's still a thing? Great, great. Because Pastor Doug lined that up and uh, has, went out of his way to invite us to participate. Uh, that was just shortly before we went off to Africa, like six months before we were planning to go. And... Uh, out of, out of that random round-robin conference, three churches supported us through the years. So it's, it's been... Uh, anyway, the Holman family has had a big, uh, a, a big impact on, on our family. Uh, okay, this next picture, Bonnie, Bonnie will probably remember it better than anybody else. That's what we looked like on commissioning day. That's about six weeks before we got on the airplane to go to Africa. 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago to the day today, all right, August 1992. Uh, the next slide uh, probably means the most to Bonnie, all right, but that's our gang today, okay, so then, then, now, yeah, uh, <clears throat> those four youngins grew up and they've got some of their own, so there's 13 grandchildren on there. 11 natural and two by marriage. And uh, anyway, for, for those of you who wonder, all right, that's the, the, the family you don't, don't get to see as part of today. Uh, <clears throat> and yeah, Bonnie might appreciate that more than anybody else here. But <clears throat> all right, now down to business. As I reflect on our, uh, our ministry, and Pastor did say he hopes that I'll explain it. All right. <clears throat> uh, 30 years of working with the Africa Inland Mission, we could divide it into three phases. Uh, the first one would have been 92 to 95 when we went to East Africa. Uh, served as an aircraft mechanic with AMAIR. Uh, AMAIR operated at that time. Uh, we operated, uh, <clears throat> or I was responsible for the maintenance on eight missionary airplanes <clears throat> to help missionaries with their their travel throughout East and Central Africa. <clears throat> to give a historical context, you know, gosh, that's a lifetime ago, more than a lifetime for some of you, all right? Uh, the United States was at war with the terrorists in Somalia in 1992. Uh, the Muslim north half of Sudan was fighting uh, a, a literal war battle with the Christian south half of Sudan. 
of course, today they're two separate countries. Uh, and while we were there, that horrific civil war in Rwanda happened. Uh, and it might be interesting to know that our airplanes were used in some way as part of relief effort with all of those horrific situations. But anyway, just to give you a historic context when, when we were there. We went back for the summer of 1998 for a short-term project. And hey, we had to make history then, too. That's when the US embassies in Nairobi and Dar es Salaam were bombed. So we were not at the embassy, but we were in Nairobi town. Uh, our children were outside our home. They actually heard the bang. and. Uh, of course, we got to uh, see the effects that it had, especially with the, the local people. So that was phase one, life in Africa. Uh, we got on that airplane in September of 1992, thinking that 30 years from now, we'd be retiring from Africa. That didn't happen, OK? School didn't go so good for our children, especially our boys in Africa. And we felt that it would be best to to stay home for their schooling. Uh, that led to the next eight-year phase, that of being AIM Air's US representative. What in the world was that? Well, at that point in time, uh, AIM Air, African Inland Missions Aviation Ministry, was viewed as about the fourth largest aviation ministry in the world, and the only one that even though the mission was based in the US, the airplanes worked in Africa, and the aviation ministry had no official US office or connection. So if there was special aviation interest stuff, we didn't have a knowledgeable person to deal with it. Well, that was my job for, for those eight years. Mostly a recruiter, uh, but also available to help with things like uh, there was an airplane or two that was bought and ferried to Africa or special parts or something like that. I think it was somewhere in that era when Stonington actually joined our support team. I, I know that we were in contact. Uh, I don't think you were financial donors when we got on the airplane to go to Kenya, but joined on either while we were there or shortly after we, we came back. <clears throat> this was the beginning of what I would call a, a shifting in my ministry from the guy being there and doing it to helping others go. And that's really in the role of recruiter, and that's what it was, uh, helping identify folks that God was leading, uh, leading to work with us in East Africa, and then helping them navigate the application process and get there. For the last 18 years, I've been working at Moody Aviation in Spokane, Washington, as Pastor mentioned. I wish you all could have been there to see the look on his face last night when I tried to explain to him what I did. All right, he was like, something. <laughs> all right, better, better you explain it to the gang tomorrow than me, okay? <clears throat> so a couple of, <clears throat> maybe a little bit of history will help with that. I. I attended Moody Bible Institute, Moody Aviation, and at that time went to school in Northeast Tennessee. Uh, 2003, Moody Bible Institute trustees decided to close that school and reopen a new aviation training operation in Washington State. 
Now, it wasn't so much a geographical move as it was a way of doing business radical move and change. So the school in Tennessee had almost 40 Moody paid staff members, instructors and support staff, for about 85 students. <clears throat> now, you don't need to be a rocket scientist or an accountant to see how's that going to add up. You know, can you, you cannot bring enough money in from 85 students to pay 40 instructors. It just doesn't work. So Moody Aviation was losing, I think their last year in Elizabethan, close to $2 million. In other words, $2 million had to come from someplace else to keep the school going. And it was not sustainable. <clears throat> so that school closed. New one started in Washington, and the big difference is the vast majority of our instructors in Spokane are missionaries, okay, working with a mission organization, being paid by you, our donors, but working for the Moody Bible Institute. So that means Moody doesn't pay me. The students who are paying tuition aren't paying me, so we can keep their their school costs down a little bit. <clears throat> and uh, that's how it works, all right? So you're paying me, <clears throat> all right? <clears throat> couple of fun facts about our, oh, a couple of yeah, fun facts about our time with uh, uh, Moody Aviation. Uh, first one, Caleb Lenahan. Nathan Clark knows him. I understand Nathan was his youth leader. Maybe 30 years from now, Caleb will be up here telling stories about you. I don't know. Caleb is one of our students in Spokane right now. In fact, if I, if I had not quit teaching at the end of last year, I would be teaching his class right now. Uh, so that's a, a fun fact. We've got a local boy there, there now. Uh, over the time that I've taught at Moody Aviation, I've I believe I've had direct interaction in class with about 400 students. I don't know exactly, but I'm educated guessing between one and 200 of them have actually served in missions somewhere. Now, some of them recent graduates haven't had the opportunity to go overseas yet, so hopefully there'll be more yet. There are dozens of uh, my, our students that are on the field today. I like to look at it. Yes, I was a bit disappointed to have to come home from the field. I really did want 30 years career overseas. Well, if I'd have done that, I would have been one missionary mechanic working in East Africa. And today there are, I can give you names to at least nine that I have taught that are working on the African continent today, and dozens more scattered around the world. So I kind of think that our work with Moody Aviation, while it wasn't what we sent out to do, I see that as the most significant thing that we've been able to do and that you guys have, have made possible for us to do. All right, so far I've been talking about me. A uh, couple of students, a couple of quick student stories to give you a, a snapshot. Uh, <clears throat> are we being recorded, sent out over online or anything? Okay, I'm going to use different names, all right? So we'll call the first guy Jack. Jack shows up in Spokane, transferred from another school, 
And okay, I know, I so appreciate Sunday school class this morning, you know, uh, appearance and extra rules and that aren't matter, it's the heart, but still, Jack shows up, long hair, rough looking, uh, didn't go to church, had a job that kept him away, and that kind of thing, and like, hmm, how's this gonna work out in a missionary school, all right? To watch Jack develop over the years that he was there, uh, graduate, marry a wonderful girl, and to read his letters from Brazil now is just uh, amazing. Uh, it's kind of like, I'm not real sure where his head was when he came into Moody Aviation, but he really did realize his calling and, and respond to it, and he's, he's out there doing it, doing it today. <clears throat> uh, another guy, I'm going to call him Don, uh, one of my students most directly. He was a, uh, a maintenance-only student, and he struggled. Oh gosh, he struggled. And biggest thing I don't like about my job is sometimes, you know, if they don't do things right, I gotta give them a failing grade. And this particular guy, it meant a failing course grade. Uh, welding, of all things, all right, welding. I'm like, sorry, Don, but this is just, this is not good enough. I cannot call this a pass. Uh, you're going to have to take the course again. He elected not to and withdrew, so I'm like, oh, man, that's a bummer. You kind of hate to see that happen. In that process, realized, you know, airplane's not for me, but missionary work is. He is a camp, a Bible camp maintenance chap in the Azor Islands today. And he reads and talks about the benefit of his Moody Aviation education. One, one letter he's talking about, I'm so glad I learned welding while I was at Moody because now I can weld the, the broken tractors and lawnmowers and things like that. And I'm like, yep, his welding was probably good enough for tractors and lawnmowers, but not airplanes. <laughs> so again, just you know, to, see, to see what God does with the guys when they come to us, and uh, even, even when it doesn't work out, you know, the way that we think it should uh, while they're in school. Uh, last fellow I'm going to call Larry. Uh, Becky and I got to know him really, really, really well over the last couple of years uh, from New Zealand. I mean, he, he's come halfway around the world to go to school. A very, very rough, difficult background, uh, low-income family. Uh, poor high school experience. He was not well prepared for college. I met him when he came to my office to tell me he was going to quit. So I don't think I belong here. I'm like, oh, why do you say that? And we talked about it. And I'm, look, we're halfway through the semester. You've paid for it. Don't you think this is kind of quick to make this decision? At least finish this semester. Well, he finished that semester and came back for another one, back for another one. He just graduated in June and has done an, an incredible, incredible job. And just can't wait to, uh, to see what, what kind of ministry thing he's going to have on down the road. <clears throat> All right. Pastor Brad, this is for you. <clears throat> you are not alone. So at... at uh, Pastor Rich, 
at Fairhaven Church in Ohio, our first church we talked at on this tour, after hearing me share Saturday at their retreat that airplane engines was my favorite thing, that is my area of greatest experience. And he got the picture of me being a teacher. Sunday morning, he gave this illustration to the congregation. So, missionaries need to travel. In some parts of the world, small airplanes are the only way for them to travel. Airplanes have engines. Engines need qualified mechanics to keep them operating properly. Randy teaches mechanics to become qualified. There you go, okay? <clears throat> All right, that's, that's what, and I'm sitting, I'm sitting back there, I'm like, somebody gets it. I, somebody really gets it, okay? <clears throat> I'd like to make one or, uh, little adjustment, or actually two adjustments to Pastor Rich's list. First off, I'd like to make it horizontal. The slide's not quite wide enough. I'd like to stretch that out horizontal and call it a chain rather than a list and add one more link to the chain. All right. Missionaries need to travel some places. Airplanes, the best way to do it. Airplanes have engines. Engines need qualified mechanics. I teach qualified engine mechanics and Stonington Baptist Church, among others, has made it possible for me to teach. And any, every one of those links is one's just as important as the other. So there you go. Does that cover it, brother? Got it now? Thanks. <clears throat> so you already heard we are retiring. anticipated retirement ministry there. That's half of our grandchildren in that picture. This isn't quite the way we planned it. Uh, we had envisioned at least one more year of teaching, maybe two. But uh, the, last, the last year and a half or so has been pretty rough with my health. I won't get bore you with all the details. The short version is while I probably look to you fine and healthy today, okay, uh, I am for short spurts, all right? Uh, and it has become virtually impossible for me to even work a consistent 30 hours a week, minimum full-time. So out of fairness to our students and to you, our donors, we decided it's time, it's time to pull the plug now. Um, <clears throat> we're not... We're not completely sure what retirement's going to look like. Uh, again, it's a little, little bit earlier than we, we had hoped, so our planning isn't as thorough as we would like it to have been. And therein lies our largest and remaining prayer request that, that I would share with you guys. Uh, first off, what to do with our time and energy. And it's not that I don't have anything to do. I don't know which one of the 10 or 12 great things to choose and spend my time and energy on, because we, we really do. And that's a whole other conversation uh, of some of the ideas that we have. Uh, and then, uh, as you hear it from everybody, every missionary that comes, yep, he's going to talk about money again sooner or later. But uh, financial provision. Uh, I think we've got a really good long-term retirement financial plan. Uh, however, since it's a little bit early, uh, <clears throat> the, first, the first couple years are, uh, can wait to see what's going to happen. 
Uh, God's taken care of us fine this far. I can't imagine he's going to stop now. So, uh, but yeah, there's our, our single biggest uh, prayer request. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to shift gears now. If anybody would like to visit, hear more, uh, more stories about what we've been doing or talk with us personal, uh, we are planning to be here for the evening service. We're just going to slip in there and be one of the, one of the crowds. So uh, would, would love to visit. Uh, if, if you're around again. Uh, shift gears to a testimony, devotional thought. Um, <clears throat> I've already said, looking at retirement, my brain tends to look back on the past and reflect uh, on, on what's, what's gone before. And one of the things that came to my and also, you know, with the last couple years being kind of rough, uh, there's been times that I've been pretty discouraged. You know, oh man, can't do what I want to do and start wondering if it's worth it. And anybody else been there? You know, you, you kind of get discouraged and you can make yourself more discouraged. And uh, My brain went back to a time while we were in Kenya. I think it was fall of 1994. Uh, it had been a difficult time. We were getting tired, run down. And uh, we went off to a weekend retreat that was just so uplifting and encouraging. I want to share some of the things that we heard and learned at that retreat. Now, I don't know the preacher's name, and I don't remember the details of his message, but I do remember the scripture verse that he preached from. Uh, I mean, maybe there's just something there in that lesson, you know, how is it that God helped me remember that and the most important thing, you know, a piece of his word. And there it is uh, in the King James Version. It's at Parbar Westward, four at the causeway, two at Parbar. Yeah, thank you, sister. It's like, what in the world do you get out of that? It's going to be an uplifting retreat message. Huh? You have got to be kidding me. And some of you are wondering, we supported this guy for 25 years? Why? <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> well, let's get to that. <clears throat> couple of couple of interesting fun facts. If you do a Google search on this verse, uh, one of the things that comes up, there's at least one guy out there on the internet that thinks it's the most obscure verse in the Bible. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I have heard folks speak of this passage sarcastically. I don't think any part of God's word should be made fun of or spoke of sarcastically. But again, it's like, what in the world does it mean? How can you get something meaningful from it? Well, all right. Just by putting that on the screen, I violated the number one rule of Bible <clears throat> interpretation, right? All right, what, what rule have I broke? Yeah, context, okay? Pick and pick and you pick any one thing out of this context and you can make it whatever you want it to mean or not mean. So let's zoom out and look at the context. I'm not gonna read it all. I see some of you's got your Bibles out great if you wanna flip through. But if you need to flip back, to 1 Chronicles chapter 22 to start, to get the larger context. And in 1 Chronicles 22 and 23, you find 
King David and King Solomon making plans to build the temple. Right? David wanted to build a temple. God said, not you. Your son's going to do it. But David started making plans. Okay? And then in chapter 23, you hear where Solomon starts to execute those plans. Part of the plan, beyond just the building, was arranging for staff. Right? We needed the people to make the temple run. So in chapter 24, we meet the priests, or we meet the families, the Levite families, who are going to provide the men who are going to serve as priests. <clears throat> in chapter 25, we, re we meet the musicians and the singers. In chapter 26, we meet the gatekeepers and the treasurers, or the accountants. I'm a farmer turned carpenter turned missionary or plain mechanic. I'm not a preacher or a hardcore Bible scholar, okay? So let that filter in what we're going to talk. I take a very practical approach to it. So there's a number of things that we know and don't know about this verse. <clears throat> For the causeway to a parbar, that's six men, all right? That's six men, six people, all right, with, who are assigned their duty at the Western Gate. And if you bounce around through chapter 26, you'll see that the North, South, and East Gate also have between four and six men. Right, but the, the, this one's talking about the West Gate. <clears throat> now, Parbar, what in the world is that? Nobody knows. Honestly, I am not joshing you, okay? Nobody knows. <clears throat> I've got, a, as evidence of that, I've got a sampling of translation. So King James, we saw that. They say, at Harbar. Uh, I did not put New American Standard up there. Uh, the New American Standard Bible says, at the Harbar. Okay, just uh, okay. One is implying a like the name of a place. The others, the name of a, of a thing. Okay. Um, the New International Version says at the court to the west. So there, those translators think that Parbar means some uh, part of the temple complex. All right. Uh, the English Standard Version says for the colonnade, okay, some architectural feature as part of the, uh, the, the temple. The bottom line is they're all just guessing, right? This is, this is the only place in Scripture that this word shows up, and I think it's the only place in all of ancient literature that it shows up. I mean, nobody has a reference to go to with what it means. A little bit of Bible trivia there. Nobody knows what Parbar is. <clears throat> um, the King James folks, and, and one, one idea is it's a part of town. It, it's a neighborhood. It's a suburb. It, it's the living area next to the, the temple, okay, as opposed to it's some, some part of the temple complex itself. Uh, another thing that we don't know, now I've, I've talked about 
these six guys are assigned a duty at the Western Gate, and uh, but what are those guys, and what is their duty? And there's some confusion with that too. So. New American Standard, NIV, and English Standard translators call them gatekeepers. I think they kind of copped out, right? That's a term that can cover all kinds of things, all right? Uh, the King James Version called them porters. Now, that makes a very different image in your mind, doesn't it? You know, a, a porter. Uh, American Standard Version uses the term doorkeepers and the Living Bible, which we know is not a translation, but a paraphrase, calls them temple guards. So let your imagination run crazy for a little while, and you get an image anywhere from a bouncer. Okay, I find it hard to believe that God would want bouncers at the doorway of his temple, but that's one possible far extreme meaning to a bellhop. You know, the guy that's going to open the door and help you get your stuff through. So there's, there's some confusion over what the task, what the function that these guys uh, served. <clears throat> so, all right. Randy, you picked a weird verse, and it's got all of Okay. What we do know. <clears throat> and you find in the preceding verses in chapter 26, these were highly qualified men. Uh, some of them had experience in David's army and were referred to as valiant men, all right? Uh, they were respected men, and they took this duty very serious and fulfilled it uh, with, with vigor and energy, all right? <clears throat> Despite all of the confusion, one thing that most Bible scholars do agree on, if you would take those various offices, remember I talked about the priests, musicians, singers, treasurers, gatekeepers. Most folks agree that if you were to rank them, the gatekeeper would be the lowest rank. Right? The priest and the singers, they're the ones right in there involved with the worship. Right? The accountants, they're making sure the money's right and all that pretty important job. What do the gatekeepers do? All right? So they would be viewed as the lower rank, and in human terms, will often think that that means a lesser importance. I would like to challenge us all that different rank does not mean different value. Right? And I believe that in this example, in the ministry in the temple, I mean, for goodness sakes, God's God took time and space to make room in his word to tell us about it. That's one clue that this is important, okay? But their service in the temple was just as important to make sure everything worked the way that it should as that of the priest. That is the message that changed Becky and my hearts and minds towards our situation in Africa. All right, I told you it was a discouraging time when we went into this uh, this uh, retreat weekend. You know, I'm, oh, shed a dollar for every time I heard this phrase. So you're just a mechanic, right? You know, I know this guy who's a missionary pilot. He's a mechanic, too. You're just a, yep, I'm just a mechanic. And after a while, you can start feeling that way. You know, man, it's the, it's the pilot that gets to do the fun stuff. And 
the, the missionary doctor and translator that the pilot flies, well, what they're doing is really, really important. And I'm just here at the shop changing oil and servicing spark plugs, and you can start feeling like, not as important. Well, you saw the chain that I put up earlier. Each one of those steps in the chain is equally important. And I believe here is uh, one example of a, a, a scriptural example, why so? All right. Um, <clears throat> same goes for being a mechanic teacher. And I would like to say same goes for you, the missionary supporter. All right. You might think, oh, all we do is write and send a check. We don't get to see any of the fun. Or maybe I can't, I can't even give it as much to be a part of sending the check. All I'm doing is praying, oh my goodness, that's all so, so, so important. And I would even go uh, to you as individuals. I would hope, I would hope that you, that there's got to be somebody here in a group this size that's maybe getting a little tired or discouraged in whatever ministry or job situation you're in. And I believe God's word to you today is you're doing what God wants you to do. You're doing something important. And it is very, very, very it is very significant. And you are important because of it. <clears throat> Let's uh, wrap right. It's missionary slideshow tradition to end with a sunset, right? <clears throat> So sorry, so sorry. Uh, I don't think, I don't know if we've ever ended with a sunset in our slideshow until this time. But yeah, Moody Aviation, Spokane, Washington, after a rain shower, uh, somebody else gets credit for taking the picture. I just used it. All right. <clears throat> um, yeah, the lesson from Parbar, I'd hope that each one of you would find this as uplifting as we did when we heard it the first time, okay? Uh, anyone doing what God wants is doing something important. In closing, I'd like to say a couple of, uh, a couple of personal thank yous. That's a, a big part of, part of why we're, we're here. And the first thank you to Bonnie and Nate and Trish as representatives of the Holman family. And I already told you a little bit of history. Uh, but Bonnie, thanks for being there for that farm kid in Hamburg uh, when he was in, in high school. Uh, your influence and your family's influence, just watching you guys and uh, has, has meant a lot to us and been a big encouragement to me. Uh, over the years. So thank you very, very much uh, <clears throat> while your par bar was Hamburg. <laughs> right. uh, Stonington Baptist Church, uh, thank you so much. Uh, 25, 25 years of support every... I, I, I'd have to look at the statements. I don't know if the checks came every month or every quarter, but I know it was there all the time, regular, and we just so, so, so appreciate uh, your part and uh, <clears throat> yeah, helping me teach so that mechanics can keep engines running and airplanes can keep missionaries on the job. May God continue to bless all of you uh, what, wherever he has, uh, he has placed you, uh, yeah, wherever your par bar is. Thanks so much. Very much. <clears throat>